0: Hi, I'm Megan. And I'm Sarah. We're two moms with eight kids between us from preschool to teen. This is the show where
1: we help you feel better about the mom you are and share our own parenting tips and personal stories. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Mom Hour. I'm your host, Sarah Powers, and I might be more excited about today's interview than I have ever been about one of our Voices interviews. So if you're a regular listener, you know that once a month we bring on a special guest. Normally on Tuesdays, our podcast is just Megan and myself, but we call this our Voices interview series, and we bring on all kinds of different people You, we think you guys will love listening to. Um, my guest today is a singer-songwriter, a musician. She has a brand new album out that is out today called Red Wing. Her name is Sarah Sample. She is also my best friend of more than 25 years. So we grew up together. Um, We talk in this interview a lot about motherhood and creativity, which is something that comes up a lot on this show. So even if you are not yourself a musical person... Um, Sarah's story of how she continued to participate in music as she had young children and made that work with her marriage and travel, um, I think you'll really relate to. We also talk about some serious stuff that she has gone through in the last 10 years um, that really inspired this album. Um, Her personal stories are amazing. She's funny. She's delightful. And we go way, way back, which makes this conversation a lot of fun. Um, At the end of the show, we just basically dissolve into Giggle's reminiscing about some really dorky things we did in high school so you'll want to listen all the way to the end you will also get to hear a couple clips from the album red wing which is out today throughout our interview um and i would love for you to go check it out everything we talk about is at themomhour.com um and i hope you guys enjoy this interview so here comes sarah sample But I have a feeling after those 30 days, our listeners will love their Vionic shoes so much they'll be ready to order another pair.
0: Use code THEMOMOWER15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at bionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's a one-time use only. Bionic shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. This episode is sponsored by Olive in June. And Sarah, I am just so grateful that I have mastered the art of doing my nails at home. When I look down at my cute manicure, I feel a little more pulled together, no matter how crazy life is at the moment. Thankfully, Olive & June's Manny system makes it so easy and affordable to make Manny time a regular part of my weekly routine. Well, I know the feeling,
1: Megan. And I think it's so fun that with Olive & June, you get to customize your Manny system with your choice of six polishes, plus their top coat is included. So Katie on our team says that she has lately been layering some of their iridescent colors over their gel-like polishes, and the final result looks super shimmery and pretty. I might have to try that this spring.
0: Yeah, and Olive and June press-ons are another cool option. They look so real, and I think it would be a great way to test out another nail shape. A long almond shape is popular right now, and I'm kind of curious what that would look like on me.
1: Okay, well, keep me posted on that one. Listeners, visit oliveandjune.com slash the mom hour for 20% off your first manny system. That's oliveandjun com slash T H E M O M H O U R for 20% off your first Manny System. Hey Sarah Sample, welcome to the Mom Hour. Bye. <laughs> This is so great. We um, probably talk once a day and have for the last 10 years. <laughs> it's fine. This is no different. Just um, many thousands of people are listening to our conversation. Woohoo! <laughs> I love it. So our listeners um, heard me introduce you and tell about how we know each other, but I want to get right in to a topic that really comes up a lot on our show. Um, most of our listeners are not singer-songwriters, but a lot of them are moms who are creative, or who want to be more creative, or maybe who've lost touch with their creative passion. So I would love to spend a few minutes talking about kind of this intersection of motherhood and creativity, and how for you, that's evolved now that you've been a mom for 10 years, and you've continued to make music during that time. So if you can look back, do you feel like things, I mean, obviously, they changed when you had your first baby. I know that I was there. Um, (laughs) But like, what about your creative process and being a singer songwriter kind of changed when you had kids?
2: Well, I think first of all, that all creative types have to give themselves a pat on the back because to be creative means that you're in charge, which means that you're like self-monitoring and self-regulating your time and your schedule. And so you're not only balancing motherhood and everything that that means, and especially with a new baby, then you really don't have a life. You know, your life is like feeding and changing and and all of that stuff. Um, But I think a lot of people love a creative lifestyle because there's the flexibility that comes with it. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to clock in to a job. You can take more than a 15 minute break when you need it on and on. Mm -hmm. Um, But that also means I think it's harder to create designated times to create because Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I feel like people don't value creativity as almost a job. And therefore I think people, um, can easily look at your life and say like, oh, it's so fun being an artist, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Um, Instead of acknowledging the tremendous amount of self-discipline it requires to be an artist that is trying to make a living from your art. Um, So that changed when I became a mom um, in a few ways, in a really beautiful way because of the material it brought. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Just like endless amounts of material. And I think it was Anne Lamott, who is a writer we both love, but- She um she said in one of her books, maybe Bird by Bird, that if you survive childhood, then you have material for a lifetime. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the same is true for motherhood. If you survive motherhood or even, you know, the first few years of motherhood, right. then you have so much endless <laughs> material because it's so comedic and tragic all at once. <laughs>
1: so true. Um,
2: but I also think... Um, you just have to get so efficient. You don't have the time that you used to have and you have to really honor the space that you make. And so when I had my second child, um, I decided with one of my best friends who's a singer songwriter, um, used to be based out of Chicago. Her name is Edie Carey and she's amazing. And we both have made adult singer songwriter records for years. We both um, had babies and we decided, well, why don't we make a lullaby record? And it's a funny time in life to say, let's make a lullaby record when your child is under one. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I what I've found was that I be and I don't even think it has to do with that I'm a singer, but um I sing to my kids a lot. Mm-hmm. And therefore when they were babies, I spent so many hours in the rocking chair singing to them and nursing my second baby that um I started writing songs in a rocking chair. Mm-hmm. So I would just make up melodies, make up words. And some of the songs that I wrote uh, without an instrument, which is rare for me, usually when I write songs, I write with a guitar. Mm-hmm. Um, I would write in a rocking chair. So, And how would you functionally
1: keep track of that? Because I could see like, you know, you're sleep deprived, like you stumble uh, yeah. on something good. Did you like have a journal? Did you write it in your phone? So, like it, yeah, I
2: would just use my phone as kind of a recording device. Uh-huh. I would just have my phone. And if I came up with a melody that I liked, I'd just voice memo it. Yeah. <laughs> and it's funny because <laughs> when you're that tired. Yeah. And any mom who's listening right now knows what I mean. It's like yeah. there's just nothing like it. There's it's like you have a it's like
1: being on drugs kind of.
2: Yeah. and And worse than that, because it's just perpetual it yeah. just never ends you never can catch up and you start to feel crazy a little bit of the time and so sometimes I'd go back and I'd listen to a song clip that I had written at <laughs> 2 a.m and I honestly like I don't remember writing it I have no idea where it came from I so love it's kind of funny
1: I love that and as you were talking I was thinking like because I can relate as a writer writer to this and a lot of like the motherhood writing I did was when my kids were really little same time phase But it's almost like your brain, your creative brain doesn't shut off. I mean, it needs a little more sleep and it's a little it misfires, but it's still there. It's almost like your body and your hands and like for you, your guitar, your instrument. It's like you can't get it all to be in the same place at the same time. So it's it's not that the urge to create goes away, but it's maybe you have to get creative with putting, you know, like when it comes out. And I love that. I love that story. Okay. So let's keep going with this because I happen to know that this last album, and we're going to talk in detail about it later, but you kind of had to like, keep on a writing schedule. Like you had a deadline to write this album and, and the whole idea of being creative on a deadline, it's not new. I mean, writers come up against that and everybody does, but it's hard. It's different than like I'm going to go for a walk in the woods and just get inspired and see what comes. So can you talk a little bit about that? Like you had writing deadlines. You also had kids to pick up at school and like a mom life.
2: Yeah. So, um, I function really beautifully under a deadline. I am my most productive self when all engines are moving at high speeds. And I've always been that way. And I think, um, especially I'm married to a physician. And so especially raising children through a medical school Mm -hmm. and everyone has crazy schedules and sometimes he's gone and, and all of, and me trying to pursue a music career on top of that. I think, um, I just learned quickly that if you want to get it done, like you just have to prioritize and do as much as you can. So when I'm, I made a new record, this is my sixth album. It's called red wing. It's actually released today Um, that's coming out yeah
1: happy release happy
2: release i know so happy so um when i was making that record um i will talk about this probably a little later but i was in the middle of school and so i i got done with school in may and college usually gets out in may and then grade school gets out in june where i live and so i had three weeks where i would drop my kids off at eight And I would have until three. Mm -hmm. And so every day for three weeks from eight to three, I would come straight home, have a cup of coffee and write or co-write, you know, with somebody else if I was doing that that day. And I had to write, you know, more 10 or 15 songs in those three weeks. And like, I didn't think I'd be able to do it, but. And you did it. (laughs) And you did it. And I did it.
1: Did it feel (laughs) totally panic inducing or did you feel like that good rush of adrenaline like this is going to happen?
2: You know, it's scary because, um, I didn't know, sometimes you write a song and I'm sure it's similar to, you know, writing that you write something and you know, it's good. Mm -hmm. There's this visceral level of like, that's good. And then sometimes you write something and you just don't know. Like, I I don't know if it hits. I don't know any, I don't know. Is it good? It might be good or it might be terrible. I'm Mm -hmm. not sure. And so luckily that's where people come in who become a filter for you. And that person for me, is my producer, Scott Mm -hmm. Wiley. And so what would happen is I'd write for a day. And then at the end of the day, I'd send him the song that I wrote, or it's Mm -hmm. after a few days, here are a few songs. And I trust him enough to know like his opinion is probably on. So he would write me back and say, Okay, I love this one. So nailed it, so great. This one, the bridge, needs work. This one, I don't know. That is so
1: yeah, that's we could do it if you want, but
2: (laughs) it's okay if like we let it go. Um and I trust him enough to like judge I trust him enough to let him judge sometimes. Yeah. Whether we keep it or leave it. And then wasn't it wouldn't it be hard? I would think
1: it would be so hard to switch gears now. Your girls are home from school and they have to go to gymnastics class and you have to put dinner on the table like did did you have to literally like turn off the songwriting brain cuz i feel like mine would keep going
2: yeah. <laughs> you know i writing is hard for me it is not I know that artists talk about like the best part is the writing, you know, and, and all of those things, but I actually love performing more than I love writing. Mm -hmm. And so it was a relief to me to be able to turn it off and to say, now that I pick my kids up, like I get to be a mom now and I don't have to worry about creating that actually the designation of time almost with kids is great because if you can then turn off the creative project and say like, now I'm a mom. Mm -hmm. Then I think that there's some freedom in that. In yeah, that you and you like-
1: and you had set yourself up in that three week period to have a good amount of hours in the day. It's right. different than like if you're if you have two little tiny kids at home and you're stealing totally. pockets yes. of time here and there. I love that. Um, okay, so let's let's talk about really what this is like. You are a traveling, or you have been at different time periods, a traveling singer songwriter who goes on tour multiple times a year, records albums. You also have two little girls and a husband who's been going through medical school residency and finding his way. So this is the last 10 years of your life. Like, what are some of the things that made that? Because to me, it sounds almost like a funny like premise for a sitcom. Like, there's yeah. like this, the two lifestyles, the lifestyle of a traveling musician and like the lifestyle of basically like the primary caretaker of two little kids. Yeah. How does that all come together?
2: OK, the the. There's one word and that is no two words. My mom. <laughs> oh nice. Yeah. So I will just talk about um how crucial my mother has been in her role in allowing me to pursue a creative lifestyle. And um that is because it, you know, the timing of it really worked out well when I had delivered June, who's now my almost 10 year old, um, my grandmother got really sick and it was kind of a choice between she needs to go into a full care facility or my mom needs to quit her job and take care of her mom. Mm -hmm. And so she did. She quit her job and she took care of her mom, which allowed her to be home. And that coincided with the time that I had this really young baby. Um, it also coincided with like a terrible experience breastfeeding my first child. Mm-hmm,
1: which and Many they, of our listeners can relate to. Yeah,
2: I mean, it's so hard. It is just it can be so hard. I yeah. think there are some people that um, really luck out and breastfeeding is really natural and their baby is a great eater and all of these things. But in general, I speak to a lot of Moms, first-time moms who really struggle initially with figuring out breastfeeding and there were several reasons why it wasn't working for June and me. And we would go to lactation specialists and try all these different things and I was I was like pumping and supplementing and weighing her. I mean, it was just driving me crazy. And finally I made the decision that I was going to formula feed June, which mm-hmm. Any mom listening to this, like either I'm being like severely judged at this point. In the not program, with our or, listeners, not with our or, listeners. Yeah. Or they're like, oh yeah, I've been there, yeah. right? So, um, but yeah, I think that every mom has to make that decision. And luckily my second baby like breastfed beautifully and it was this amazing experience and it was totally different than my first. So um, I've seen both sides of it, but mm-hmm. with my first baby, she was you know, formula fed. So she wasn't dependent on my body Mm -hmm. and I really wanted to keep touring. And so I switched to what I call mom touring, which is one weekend a month I would go on the road. Okay. But it looked, I was a circus. I mean, it looked crazy. And I remember talking to you on the phone because, um, I don't think you left. I don't think you had a night away from your children. For years.
1: Well, like, I think I would do, like, one night once they were over a year. I know with Allegra, she was, like, 15 months and it was one night. Okay. And then with Reed, it would be one night. And then, like, I want to say when they were two and four, we took a weekend before we had the third kid. But very, I mean, that's one night. like, And that took a lot of, like, my sanity and just getting there mentally.
2: Totally. And so, yeah, you have like such this mix of emotions. So I started at four months old. I would fly. We were living in Seattle. I would fly with June. And it was I looked crazy in the airport. Like I would have a guitar. (laughs) And then I remember there was this really big struggle to figure out the stroller I needed because I bought one of the little umbrella strollers that are travel easy and they come, they like are compact, but I couldn't steer it with one hand. And so I remember it was a really big deal that I bought a Bob Mm -hmm. jogging stroller. It's so funny.
1: I have to interrupt because Megan and I just did an episode recently looking back at like baby shower and baby gear that like, things that we now know in hindsight. And that exact thing came up, which is like, you try and save money or save space on a stroller. But like, I like looking back, I should have gotten a Bob too. Like just anyway, yeah. that just reminded me.
2: So it's funny, but I like, I remember getting a Bob and I fit the car seat in it and I had my <laughs> guitar and I would have to check my suitcase <laughs> curbside so that I could have enough hands to get in. And I, I literally had to ask someone on the, like, you know, like going down into the plane, can you hold the baby while I put the guitar up? Or could you put the guitar up? But there was like a, a real dependence on getting to Salt Lake. And then yeah. I would get to Salt Lake and drop June off with my mom, who of course was like the happiest grandma on earth, right. because she gets like a weekend uninterrupted with a baby. And then I would fly to wherever I was going for the weekend and, and pick her up on my way home. And looking back at it, I don't know. It's crazy. Like, I don't know why that was important, but it felt important at the time. And I will say, okay, this is a point I will make, which is the like being a new mother is so relentless. Like, mm-hmm. you've never denied yourself so much in your life. I mean, I have this funny memory living in Seattle where it was my birthday and it was a disaster. And I went to Cheesecake Factory, which is the worst. You know, I don't know. It was just like, I'm at a chain restaurant, the yeah. baby's crying, no one wants dessert and I'm crying on the way home. And it was like this realization of like, I don't matter anymore, nothing matters. <laughs> and and like, no one can make me feel better. And it was like, the baby was the cause, but she also was the only thing I wanted. I just yep. remember holding her was the only thing that made me feel better.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And so I think experience this, this kind of crazy dependence with this little baby Having a weekend away where I got to spend a night in a hotel by myself, Mm -hmm. the first night was amazing. I'd just be like, oh, my gosh, this bed, it's so big and the room is quiet and nobody needs me. And then by the next morning, I'm in tears being like,
1: nobody needs me. You know, like,
2: (laughs) I just want to go home to my baby. Um, So I don't know. It felt felt important and I, like, honored that. And luckily, I had my mom. Yeah, to help me. But then anyone who's ever left a baby for more than a few hours, like you're, like suffocated in mom guilt too. Yep. I don't know. It's, when you it's when you look
1: back at that now, I mean, there like there's no point in like saying you would have done things differently. But when you look at back at that now, are you do you feel like proud of yourself that you were able to stay engaged with music? I mean, what would the alternative have been? You probably would have been miserable if you'd tried to quit music. Yeah. I'm guessing.
2: So, I had this friend um who told me when I had a baby, and I was so I was so afraid that having a baby would mean that my career was over in music mm-hmm. and for, I think for a lot of people, it is because they don't have a mom or a supportive husband or you know a means to help have a babysitter mm-hmm. or those types of things. So it is true that like having a child severely impacts a creative profession, especially a traveling one, mm-hmm. but at the same time. Um, she, her advice to me was like, just listen to yourself. And mm-hmm. if you have a baby and you say, I want to keep making music, then keep making music. And if you have a baby and you say like, I don't want to do that anymore, then honor that as well. And yeah. say, okay, I'm going to put this down for a little while. Yeah.
1: And we always say on this show, cause Megan and I are a lot farther along than a lot of our listeners. We always say like, nothing is permanent. Like if you do get good at listening to that voice,
0: Mm-hmm. Maybe it's
1: a six month break or maybe it's a five year break. And I, I'm sure in music it is hard to break back in. There are some, you know, industries where that is the reality. But I do think it's really valuable, to exactly like your friend said, to listen to that listen to that voice. Um, so do you have any advice for creative mamas maybe who are not as far along as you are about listening to that voice or fitting creativity into their lives in some capacity?
2: I do, and um, so my advice is advice that Elizabeth Gilbert gives. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Have you read Big Magic? Have oh we yeah, about that book? we read all the same books. <laughs> so I actually I'm it's going to book. read Elizabeth Gilbert oh, to yes. your listeners awesome. just to quote her because. I feel like sometimes we have this dialogue in our community that you like have to find your passion and your true work and the thing you've loved since you were six. And not everybody has something they've loved since they were six. And um, so her in her book, she has she talks about curiosity and she this is quoting Elizabeth Gilbert. She says, I believe that curiosity is the secret. Curiosity is the truth in the way of creative living. Creative living. Curiosity is the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end. Furthermore, curiosity is accessible to everyone. Passion can seem intimidating, out of reach, a distant tower of flame, accessible only to geniuses and those who are specially touched by God. But curiosity is milder, quieter, more welcoming. The stakes of curiosity are far lower than the stakes of passion. And she said, in fact, curiosity only ever asks one simple question Is there anything you're interested in? Oh, I so, love that. I love that. I think I um, that. that is my advice to moms, to everybody. I think that we are creative beings. I think we are honoring a part of ourselves when we access creativity. And um I would just encourage making time for it. I mean, I know that everyone says I don't have time, but maybe that looks like um like I remember when I had a new baby. James and I, James is my husband, um, there was always so much guilt when you have a new kid about mm-hmm. leaving the kid mm-hmm. to go do something you enjoy, Yes, right? And so we decided to make a rule that we each got two to three hours a week guilt-free time yeah. to go it. spend alone. And, and so- that's on
1: top of you guys had very demanding like jobs and lives. And that's, totally. it sounds like not that much now, but that was a lot to, to yes. give and to ask for.
2: Yes. And so I remember my free two hours, uh, one weekend I went down to the mall and they had a stamp shop and I took like a card stamp class where I learned (laughs) to emboss. Right. (laughs) And like, it was so nerdy and so fun. And I got really into card making (laughs) who knew, like, I wasn't good at it, but it was fun. And that's okay. That's another point is that I think sometimes feel people feel like, well, if I'm not good at it, yeah. then I shouldn't put my time and energy yes. into it. Yeah. And We've that's talked the about wrong that on this show too. Yes. The, like that's totally the wrong question. Like yeah. the question is, do you enjoy it? Yeah. Like, does it spark something for you? And if yeah. you like ignore the gremlin voice of, well, you're not good at it, therefore you're not worthy of pursuing it. Right. Like that's BS. Like yeah. the, the real voice is like, does it bring any joy to yeah. your life?
1: Yep. Yeah. I know. I totally agree. And something that's come up, on this show when we talk about creativity too is moms also have this feeling like they should develop every creative hobby into like a moneymaker. Like now there's Etsy moms and there's like like mom entrepreneurs who like right. have a side business and like it it creates this false expectation that you're creative like let's say you did get into embossing cards that like now all of a sudden like well I better open up an Etsy shop and sell these because it's not worth my time <laughs> if it's not making money and sometimes if if there's a if there's a financial need that's one thing but sometimes it's okay just to do things because they're fun and not n- not have an expectation that oh. they need to bring in a side hustle income
2: I can't even like tell you how much I agree with that. And I, I also think, I mean, you have created a career around this amazing podcast and this community and the work you put into it. But I also think like, you were involved in all of these things before it was ever financially making money. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and I feel that way about music. I mean, like we joke about, In folk music, that that folk musicians, there are hundreds of dollars to be made, and it's true. Like there are there are literally only hundreds of dollars to be made. Like if you guys could see my tax taxes every year, you'd be like, yeah, I don't know what you're doing with your life. (laughs) Like it's clear you've
0: chosen wrong.
2: But I okay, I'm gonna be a nerd and read one more sentence of Elizabeth. Do it. Okay, and this is a chapter that I love so much, which is basically on: do not demand financial like assurance from your art. Yeah. And so she just says um I have watched so many people murder their creativity by demanding that their art pay their bills. I have seen artists drive themselves broke and crazy because of this insistence that they are not legitimate creators unless they can exclusively live off their mm-hmm. creativity. And it she says when they when their creativity fails them, meaning it doesn't pay the rent, they descend into resentment, anxiety or even bankruptcy and worst of all They often quit creating. And so I have held on to that. And we'll probably talk about this later, but I've even started a second career. Mm -hmm. And part of that is because like money isn't pouring in from playing sad folk songs, surprisingly. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh no,
1: it's so true. And I remember her talking about like Elizabeth Gilbert, who we think of this best-selling author, but she held on to day jobs for magazines and in the journalism world mm-hmm.
2: forever, yeah, forever.
1: Totally. Um, and I thought that was really interesting perspective when I read that book. By the way, guys, if you're listening, you know anything we talk about will link up at themomhour.com. So if you haven't read, um. It's big magic, right? And then the yeah, podcast is called magic. magic Lessons, which is also phenomenal. Yeah, I love so. those. Okay, so we are going to shift and we're going to talk about your career shift. So, you've alluded to this a couple times. You mentioned being in graduate school and and adding a career. So, what the heck? You're in your mid 30s and then what happened?
2: <laughs> okay, well, I'll correct you. It's not graduate school, but it is oh, that's a, true. Second. Like a second it's a 2nd like a 2nd school. Yeah. yeah.
1: you have you have an undergraduate degree prior. That's what yes. I meant. Yeah.
2: Um so, yeah, I moved to so I live in Wyoming. I live in a tiny town in northern Wyoming, about 20 miles south of Montana called Sheridan. And my husband, I mentioned he went to medical school. Um, he did this really cool program that's called the Whammy Program, which is basically states that don't have their own state medical school. if They will send you to the University of Washington for medical school, which is like top three in the nation. And then if you come back to be a physician in your state that you're from, which for James is Wyoming, they will pay off. Half of your debt, your school Amazing. debt. Yeah. Amazing. So we are living in this tiny rural town um in northern Wyoming. And I love it. I've completely fallen in love with it. But when we moved here, my youngest daughter, Maeve, was two and a half, which I can't even believe because mm-hmm. she turned six on Sunday. Oh my gosh. Um, so we moved here and I actually was planning on having another baby. Like that was kind of the plan. I know I talked to you about that. Mm-hmm. And um I was like, yeah, we, I come from a family of multiple kids and I love my siblings dearly. And I would love to have another kid. And kind of throughout that year, things started to shift. And my husband uh, came to me at one point and basically was like, I don't want another kid. Like I'm done having kids. And at first, like that was a really hard thing to hear. But the more that we talked about it, he brought up some really good points, which are like, hey, you really love your flexibility and your ability to tour and you depend on your mom to like take care of all your children while you do that. <laughs> and like your mom is getting older and like you can't expect your mom to take or my parents to take care of three kids. And I don't know, there were just a lot of conversations that led us to actually make the conscious decision that we're done having kids. And then it became kind of this thing of like, okay, well, like, what am I gonna do? That's <laughs> next. Um, my grandfather and aunts and uncles and a lot of people in my family have been physicians or nurses, mm-hmm. and I love people in general. And I just got this idea in my head. I think I want to go to nursing school. And I think when I told my husband that, he looked at me as if like I'm the craziest person on earth. Like our life has finally. <laughs> finally slowed down like we actually are getting a paycheck for the first time in 10 years and now you want to go back to school to become a nurse um and i think it was fueled by a few things like i think um part of it is that songwriting or any creative career for those listening who have one you know that it's so self motivated right mm-hmm. like i oftentimes feel that i'm the only one pushing the boulder up the mountain yeah. i'm I'm it. Like if I don't do it, no one's going to do it. And there are so many musicians right now in the world doing exactly what I'm doing because we are in this do-it-yourself age. And I'm Mm -hmm. sure, have you seen that in podcasting? Like anyone can make a podcast. Yeah. 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 Anyone can make an album. Anyone can write a book, all of these things. And so therefore like the market I think is so flooded with creativity, which is wonderful, but at the same time, it's really hard for a product to stand out in Mm -hmm. a sea of people doing the same thing you're Mm -hmm. doing. Right. Um, and it's exhausting. I mean, frankly, it's exhausting. And I had been like pushing this career for the last, I don't know, 12 or 13 years. And, um, we talked about kind of making conscious decisions to like scale back. And Mm -hmm. I made a record in 2014 and I had toured for six months on and off and it was very stressful on my family. Um, and I decided I wasn't going to tour. So I didn't really tour for the next two years. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of in the phase where I decided, I think that I also am interested in this other thing and I'd like to explore it. Um, and it and,
1: it's so different. I mean, it is like yeah. uh, there's so many other like if you went into teaching music or music therapy right. or like it is so, so different. So what, totally. was that, what was that like to like be a student again? and? And okay,
2: like, I, yeah, I want to talk a little bit what you were saying. Sorry, I cut you off. Did you finish no, what you were saying? No, go for it. Um, so one thing that I love about nursing is that exact thing. It is so opposite of music. Mm-hmm. Like, so there are clearly defined expectations. There is like a clearly defined rules. Like mm-hmm. it is so laid out in black and white most of the time what like safe protocol is in Mm -hmm. nursing or how to administer a medication or like how to safely put in an IV, Um, you are paid for your time. Mm -hmm. There's like flexibility. You can get a job anywhere in the country being Mm -hmm. a nurse. There's all of these things and most of them are the opposite of music. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why I was drawn to it. I think that I really just wanted something that felt really stable and reliable after years and years of pushing this kind of like, mass of something around Mm -hmm. that I couldn't quite get a hold of. It felt, it felt Mm -hmm. like it's always like a little out of reach. Mm -hmm. Um, And if, and, and another thing is that I have two children right now Mm -hmm. and I was raised by a single mom in Santa Barbara. We moved houses all the time. um, And it wasn't like we were struggling for food on the table, but there was this instability of work. And so I think that watching that I I like had this fear. Well, what if something happens to my marriage? What if something happens in my life where I can't take care of my kids? Could And I like asked myself, if something happened and I had to pay the the mortgage on folk music, could I do it? And the answer was no. Mm -hmm. And it like spurred this desire in me to say like, well, what am I interested in? And what is something else that maybe I would be interested in learning how to do? Mm -hmm. Um, And nursing was it.
1: I love that. I love that. (laughs) Um, so let's talk about that a little bit because your kids were getting older at this point. I mean, June was into elementary school and Maeve was preschool and daycare. I feel like the timing, I mean, a lot of our listeners are in that phase where maybe they're home and cobbling together different work options, but the light really does, or like the doors open up. I'm mixing metaphors. when when kids are at least in preschool and then a ton more once they're into elementary school. So do you feel like, I know it was busy and I know it was hard, but do you feel like it was the right time with the phase of life that your kids were in? I mean, everyone's at least sleeping through the night.
2: Yeah. Okay. So you have kids sleeping through the night and then you have, even if kids are in like a daycare program. Um, so Maeve was in a preschool program that also was a daycare. So mm-hmm. it was, it was like lumped into one and June was in school every day from eight to three. Maeve is now in kindergarten this year, so the program I did is a two-year program. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and you're the, about to finish, right? You graduate. Yeah, I
2: graduate in May. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I start working at our like local hospital in July. So that's going to be. Can we do another podcast in like <laughs> August or September, and then I'll like tell you the true scoop of, of full time <laughs> nursing.
3: Like I'm kind of
2: terrified. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but I think I think that sometimes it feels when you have little kids. Like there's no way that yeah. I could do anything else right now. And really the the clouds lift a lot mm-hmm, when kids I... get into school because you all of a sudden have time that you haven't had in years, mm-hmm. years of like not having any free time. And then all of a sudden you go, oh my gosh, like I have half a day where I can do what I want. The yeah. great thing too is James' schedule has, has like evened out quite a bit. So there, there usually was at least – you know, one or two days a week where Maeve would have to stay in daycare until four. But most of the time I could pick her up at two, which yeah. felt totally fine. It was like, you know, she's not it, done at noon, but right. it it didn't feel stressful.
1: I just will say, I don't think I could go back to do anything that involved studying for tests. I just don't <laughs> think I could do it. I think I used up all of my academic stress. in, And I only have one undergraduate degree. Like I didn't go to grad school. I, I went to Oxford for my junior year abroad and that just squashed the academia <laughs> right out of me. And, you know, I mean, you knew me. I was a very dedicated student. Totally. And the thought of going into something where I had to take notes and study for tests, like not, nothing sounds worse.
2: Okay, I hear you completely on that. But what I will say that I love so much about nursing school is that it feels like a trade school. Mm -hmm. It really doesn't. Yeah, you're learning
1: applicable skills. Yes.
2: Yeah. It it feels like like we have three days of class where we go to class for a few hours and then we actually start off first semester. You are in the hospitals and the long term care facilities. You are like working and learning the skills on the job, which feels completely different than my undergrad did. Um, And also like, I just love learning stuff. I'm always listening to some cool podcast or NPR something that's like, you know, I get home and want to spout off whatever new fact I've learned, but I actually really enjoy being an adult learner. And it's interesting because I think nursing is a field where there's a lot of moms who've had some sort of similar conversation of like, oh my gosh, my kids are in school and I actually need to like find a career and what could I do that has job security and that I would enjoy um, and flexibility. Oh, nursing. So, I mean, I think in um, my class, we have like several women who are moms with kids Mm -hmm. um, and they do just as great as the 18 year olds.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Or probably better in a lot of ways.
3: Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast.
1: Okay, we are back. And Sarah, I know you. I know your background. But I have to say, this album, Red Wing, which comes out today, guys, it's available. Um, it it goes deep into some stories of your life. I guess I. it's, uh, this is just an open-ended question. But I guess if I have a question is, What was that like to write songs that kind of outed some of the stuff that's gone on in your past? You can share as much or as little as you want about what that is, but also people can just listen to the album.
2: Yeah, it's a really emotionally heavy album. So much so that I've had like several friends call and say, "I love your record so much, but I can't listen to these tracks because I cry every time, and Mm -hmm. I don't want to cry every time. Like I want to listen to something that helps me drive and bop around and like." (laughs) Or
1: not, it. <laughs> I sometimes I like music that makes me cry though. I'm just gonna say
2: thank you, I do too. Yeah, um, that's actually not that I like want to say my goal is to manipulate emotion, but I do feel <laughs> like I really love being vulnerable and yeah. I really love talking about hard things and yeah. I don't like small talk. I like if you meet me in real life, probably. The first thing I will ask is some like deep question about your history. And you'll be like, whoa, like back But up a even little bit. for
1: those of us who like maybe avoid hard conversations, and I would count myself among that, I think sometimes music can like tap into emotions that maybe we're not getting to in everyday life. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So anyway. Totally. Okay. Yeah. And so, I think
2: that's actually what music is for. Is yeah. that I feel like music is the universal language to be able to connect us all and tell these truths that you know, maybe we don't talk about, but that yeah. are there. Okay. Um, so
1: maybe give an example of something from this album. That's pretty, pretty personal and why you went there.
2: Okay. So I will give you a little bit of personal history so that the album has context, yeah. which is I was uh, raised in a pretty strict religious, like household. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were really clear definitions of what my role should be in the world. Mm-hmm. Um like, how important it is to have children. It like getting married early was very important. Um basically like it's a patriarchal religion. Mm-hmm. So like men are in charge. Um and I would say that women are also really respected and loved, but like the highest role you could have is being a mother, mm-hmm. which in a lot of ways I agree with. Like I feel like being a mom is the best like thing I've ever done. So mm-hmm. I agree with that. But my husband and I were both raised in this religion and uh, f- about five years ago, we made the conscious decision that we were going to leave. Um, and you all are like, what is she? <laughs> everyone's guessing. Yeah, everything's guessing. No, it's not anything crazy. I was raised in the Mormon faith and there, it was just like, there was an answer for everything. It was like, how many earrings you should wear and what kind of clothes you should wear and like what your priorities should be. There was like an answer for every single question you could have. And so my husband and I decided that we didn't believe like the fundamentals of that religion and that we were going to leave. And when we did that, it was like the rug completely was pulled from us Mm -hmm. because we had completely built our life upon these shared values. And we're actually really different people. Like my husband is not a creative. Well, I would say he's creative, but he's not like this art of creative, touchy, feely personality. Like he's very logical. He's very like fact-based and, um, really compassionate, but we just think differently about the world.
1: And how old were you guys? I'll just jump in. Remind me how old you were when you got married. I mean, I was there, Yeah, (laughs) not in the temple though. Let's be clear. You were
2: not allowed to be in the temple. (laughs)
1: Let's be clear. I was not allowed to go to my best friend's wedding. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Um, yes, you were there and, uh, let's see. So I was 20 when I met James and I think that I got married Maybe like um I think I was twenty-one when I got married. I
1: think you were too. That sounds right.
2: So I think I was twenty one when I got married and James was two years older. So he's twenty-three, which isn't seventeen, but like twenty-one is really young. Really young. Really young. Like we were in college for three more years together, Mm -hmm. living in a basement apartment, you know, and Mm -hmm. working at restaurants and whatever. And so we had this really similar outlook on life and goals and, and all of those things. And so we had kids um, and we moved around a lot because of his medical school and such. And honestly, that, that like dialogue about what my life should look like played into how much music I did do, Mm -hmm. you know, it was like his job was a priority over my job and Part of that is financial and commitment and everything else but I also think part of that is cultural mm-hmm. um, so anyway we decided to leave the Mormon faith and there were several reasons for that but it wasn't a good fit for us and we left and all of a sudden we were left looking at each other like what have what have we done mm-hmm. we don't we don't have anything in common you know that we used to have in common and we're raising babies and it was really hard mm-hmm. it, it was like tremendously heartbreaking to have to like rebuild your whole life from the ground up and Mm -hmm. i will say that if you come from like a religious home when you have to hold every single thing back up to the light and say well what do i think about Mm -hmm. drugs what do i think about alcohol what do i think about what modesty means what do i think about um family time and faith and all of those things so it was it was basically exhausting it's like
1: it's like becoming a new person
2: It was a big mess for a while, (laughs) while. (laughs) but, uh, the album is inspired kind of by that transition in my life. And I will say my mom and many of my family members are totally active Mormons and I love them dearly. And I truly respect their choice to stay Mormon or to be, you know, to be active in their like Mm -hmm. faith. And I like, I think it's great. Um, but like rebuilding a life once you've left that much structure was really difficult. And this record kind of comes from like what what that looks like. And part of that was when I came to Wyoming.
1: Yeah, that was going to be my next question. So let me interrupt you because I want you okay. to talk about the how this coincided with moving to Wyoming, because I knew you as not a city girl, but where we grew up, I would say it was like more city than country or small town we had access to wide open spaces but like we had a downtown we were an hour and a half from los angeles like i feel like so i when you moved to wyoming and like would send these pictures of like like this is is this you because you've also lived in seattle eugene salt lake austin like so i i do want you to talk about wyoming but then help help set us up with the first clip which will be from the title track which is red wing and like how wyoming kind of came to play in all this
2: Okay. So I did grow up in Santa Barbara with your host, Sarah. Um, I love the city. I still love the city. I love... Um, but I think I'm really flexible. And part of that is from moving around a lot as a kid. And James and I have moved to probably six states since we've been married. Um, and so part of that, I think, is just that I'm pretty adaptable to wherever we move. Yeah. Um, and I love especially since marrying James, he is like a huge outdoor enthusiast. We do a lot of backpacking, um, a lot of camping. And so I think since marrying him, I've grown to love those things more than I ever did because mm-hmm. like with a single mom in Santa Barbara, are you going camping all the time? No. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, so we moved to Wyoming from Salt Lake mm-hmm. where we left Mormonism. So just imagine <laughs> you're not only Mormon, but you're Mormon in Salt Lake and, uh, Like we, when we wrote to our bishop and, you know, in our ward and said, we don't, we're not no longer going to be part of this community. It was really hard because it's so segregated. I think sometimes in religious communities, whether you're in or out Mm -hmm. there, there doesn't seem to be an easily accessible middle ground there. And so it was almost as if our neighborhood and community didn't know how to treat us anymore. It was like, they didn't know how to be a neighbor without being a church neighbor Mm -hmm. as well. Um, And so we had spent a good year and a half in Salt Lake feeling pretty isolated Mm -hmm. um, there. Um, James gets this job in Wyoming. We come to Wyoming for this interview and I drop him off for his job interview. And I go on a drive and in Sheridan, There's only 18,000 people. So there's tons of open, you drive five minutes in any direction in my town and you are in like rolling wilderness hills. There are bald eagles flying. There are deer and antelope everywhere. I mean, it is true wilderness. And I went on this dirt road for a good 20 miles and I saw these beautiful red-winged blackbirds um, and I pulled the car over. I got out of the car and I saw this giant deer across the valley who was under this tree, who stood up and looked at me, but didn't move. Mm -hmm. And I found myself sobbing on the side of the road, um, which like, isn't that rare if you know me?
1: (laughs) No, it's not.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But I'm crying and it's so beautiful. And I, I would say that it was a spiritual experience. I would say that I felt for the first time in over a year and a half there is room for you here yeah like phys- like actual physical room there is so much open space there's so much wilderness surely there is room for you here yeah physically and also emotionally yeah. and i have found that to be completely true it was like a blank slate it was mm-hmm. it was walking into kind of a new life and being able to rebuild it the way that we want and so that this song red wing yeah. um is inspired by that experience
3: I met God in a high desert sunrise Neither of us said a word I found God in the quiet of the golden plains On the red, red wings of blackbirds I saw a stag in the shade of a cottonwood He looked my way but didn't stir he held his all night with the red, red wind of black
1: okay I love that title track I love it I remember Thank when you. you sent me the album or I, I was a Kickstarter supporter so I got it early. And um, you asked me what my favorite song was. And one of my favorites is actually later in the album, like, I don't know, track seven, I think. And you were like, I'm so glad you made it past the first song. <laughs> but I have to say, and and because like people turn on an album, they listen to the first song and then they like go about their business or whatever. But um, I will say that first song is also so great. Such a Thank good one. Um, OK, so let's keep it real. There are songs on this album that are about people, you know, in real life. There's one yes. uh, that refers to stuff with your dad. There's one about your mom there's stuff about your marriage or marriage in general like what happens when you write a song that involves people you know and it's and it's a raw song like do you do you have a conversation with them
2: about it you know i probably should now that we're <laughs> talking <laughs> dear dad dear dad this album comes out today thanks for ruining my life <laughs> no um no i i don't know i i'm of the mindset that it's more important to tell the truth and mm-hmm. to be vulnerable than it is to like worry about how somebody feels about that. Now, that being said, it is really sensitive because it is my family and it is my marriage and it's all these things. Um, And it's hard, like it's hard to sing these songs. And the truth is I cry when I listen to the record. I still cry when I hear some of these songs because they were so hard to write. It's Mm -hmm. so hard sometimes to say the truth. And yet those are the songs over and over that people write into me and say, oh, my gosh, this song about your dad or like the way you talked about your marriage, how hard it was sometimes or, you know, any of those things. So I feel like those are the things that resonate when we get real. Um, And
1: do you feel like that has ever prompted conversations with those actual people in your life? I mean, your mom, yeah. I mean, I'll use the song about your mom as an example, because it's a really, it references your mom, but it's really about you. And there's nothing negative about right. it. But like, does that, I mean, she knows there's a song that references her. Does that ever come up? Like,
2: well, she loves that song because it's positive. Yeah, that's <laughs> Yeah. So like for her, the song about having a really big open heart and having you cry about you cry a lot. Is, yeah. It's like kind of funny and also true. and Yeah and all of those things. Now I have a song on the record, um, that is, you know, about my dad and I have not talked to him about it. I have not played it for him and he doesn't listen to my music anyway. So I doubt that he would ever hear it. Okay. Um, but that being said, it could prompt a really hard conversation if he does hear it. So you just, so you
1: just, you just have to, (laughs) you just have to be okay with that because the music is authentic. Yeah. And And also
2: there's this, I mean, for instance, there's a song that is about my marriage, but the song ends in a really beautiful way, even though it kind of is vulnerable and like, is this going to work? Yeah. And then it ends with like, hey, we're both choosing each other and we love each other. And I think, I think if it didn't end that way, I would definitely have to be like, are you okay with this being on the record?
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah, So I guess, I guess the answer is it depends on the person. Yeah. Um, I think it was interesting for me because I also know these people in your life. So I'm like, Ooh um okay so last question on the album it's kind of open-ended but like what do you think the story that this album like what is the story of this album and maybe lead us we're going to set up one more clip and it's from love who you love so maybe maybe answer it and lead us there
2: oh so i think the story of this album is stepping into your your true self and that. I love it. Um, this album is all about that for me. It's stepping into my true self and it's being able to sing about hard things that I would not have been able to write if I were still Mormon. Like, I think I think if I were still Mormon, I wouldn't have said some of these things out loud Mm -hmm. because it would be like shameful or breaking the rule a little Mm -hmm. bit or cultural rule, you Mm -hmm. know, maybe not breaking the rule. Um, So, yeah, I think it allowed a lot of freedom. And I think it's about stepping into who I really am.
1: I love that. And then set up this song, Love Who You Love, which is such a cool sound. It has such a cool sound to it.
2: I love this one. This is a song. I wrote three songs on the record with my sister, who's also a singer songwriter. um, And this is one that we wrote together. And it's from the perspective of a grandma talking to her granddaughter about love. Mm -hmm. And there is a line in there that says mothers can be wrong sometimes. And my daughter likes to remind me of that, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think it's true. I think that there are there is a cultural shift happening in in the world that is accepting love in all of its forms. Mm-hmm. And um, so the daughter is in, the granddaughter is in love with a girl, and the in the song the grandmother is encouraging her and saying kind of like love is love, and and um, there shouldn't be any barriers to that. So mm-hmm. I loved how this one turned out.
1: Okay, Sarah. Well, it's not every day that I interview someone that I've known for 25 years. I Um, love you so
2: much. I I mean, look how much we've grown.
1: (laughs) And we kept this to around an hour, which really is impressive because we've probably (laughs) logged thousands of hours talking to each other. Um, Okay. So because of that, I have a few really fun, silly questions because our listeners feel like they know me, but they don't know me like you do. So (laughs) I have a few quick rapid fire questions. So what is something about me Sarah Powers that you think would surprise people, would surprise our listeners, or maybe that you think our listeners probably don't know, hearing this podcasty side of me?
2: Hmm. Well, I haven't heard all of your podcasts, so I don't know how much they know about you growing up, but probably Sarah- not much. Probably not much. Okay, so we grew up um, in Santa Barbara, and we were both in the same ballet school together, and what you may not know about Sarah Powers is that she was the- most incredible dancer, is an incredible dancer, but she was the star of our <laughs> ballet school and was like the lead of every single ballet performance that we ever had. She was phenomenal. Um, and so, yeah, I I think Sarah has is a natural leader. I don't know if you would see yourself that way, but oh, that's interesting. I, I definitely felt like you were a very natural leader in our dance company of oh, people looking up to you. And also just you were so brilliant. Thank you Uh, and dancing.
1: See there I was fishing for a compliment. Well I think something that people don't know about you especially obviously our listeners just met you but something that I even continue to be pleasantly surprised at is when you perform how freaking funny you are. I mean I've always (laughs) laughed with you but you know how you laugh with your best friends but like and I'm sure this has grown as your music career has grown but I've come to see you many times in concert and you are like stand-up comedy funny.
2: So if people I'm, pretty, I'm so happy you say that. I'm always trying to tell James how funny I am. And it's like <laughs> you are
1: really funny. I'm funny. Right? And I love funny people because I, I feel like I have a funny person inside of me, but it just mostly comes out in like snarky things I write down or like text people. <laughs> um, but you are really funny on the mic. Like, I mean, like you could do stand-up in between your songs. And I so, think so. If people have listened to this and think, oh my gosh, this album is so serious, and Sarah's this weeping on the side of the road like you're really really funny
2: okay I'm glad you say that because (laughs) I purposely try to be humorous and funny in between the songs because like they're sad I mean not all my songs are sad you guys seriously I'm not that I'm not depressed I'm very happy
1: no you're just emotional
2: but uh yeah I will say that I I do try to keep it light in between songs because even songs that I mean Let's just say even songs that are really serious, there's usually something funny somewhere along the line. Well, I think that's what
1: makes you so funny is you get a kick out of so many things like you just crack up at life. It's the best. It's the best. Um, Okay, so when we were teenagers, so I think I said this in my introduction, but we became friends when we were like 11 and 12. But really, we were like besties by the time we were like 13, 14, 15. What did we think we were each going to be when we grew up?
2: Ooh. So I have a really specific memory of us going to the park. Was it Alan? I think it was at park? the courthouse
1: in the sunken oh. gardens, wasn't it? If I'm thinking of that. I the thought same it thing. was
2: the turtle park, if Maybe. I'm thinking of it. Okay. Or both or every day. Um <laughs> oh wait, I wanna say one other funny thing about us growing up, which was Sarah and I loved to write in journals. And we would write in our journals every single night and then call each other. <laughs> on our house phones. Like we didn't even have cell phones and we would read our journal entries to each other over the phone yes, before we went would. to bed. Like, <laughs> like how every nerdy night. are we? I love it so much. Okay. So we did that for years. Um, I remember, I have a memory of us playing the game mash. when yep. We were probably 15 or 16, right? Yeah. Okay. And you guys remember mash. It's like, what house do you live yeah. in? Who are you going to marry? What are you going to be? And I think I even have a memory of like my mash dream was I'm going to live in a city with a dog, with a large dog, and I'm going to be a musician and I'm going to, I don't know, something funny. But I feel like yours had to do with like a dancer in New York. And I don't know. Do you remember exactly what you said? I feel
1: like, no, but I feel like both of ours were like writer. Mine was always like writer, teacher, dancer, mother, which like I pretty much... Been all Do. those things. <laughs> Check. <laughs> Nail on it. And yours, I'm sure, was singer. I mean, yeah, I'm sure it was.
2: Yeah. Um. So that is really funny. I we, think that we, yeah.
1: I well, think we're very we- lucky that we grew up thinking we could be those things. I think there's there's some privilege in there, and also just like we were raised by families who really you know told us we could be what we wanted to be which is cool right um okay well you mentioned one I was gonna ask what's the dorkiest thing we did when we were in junior high and high school but you might have you might have nailed it already with reading each other our journals every night no
2: I have I have a lot more material um (laughs) so one thing that I loved that we used to do that cracked me up was we would go on hikes and we would sing oh yes we would in full harmony (laughs) multiple songs and we would always sing like we had like a repertoire yeah we had a repertoire of like the songs we always sing um and music was like a really big part of our our relationship like we would both love the same albums well mostly
1: I really fed off of your taste in music because I didn't have much original taste and I felt like you tapped into music I wouldn't have discovered on my own but then I also had music like I sang in choir and I loved to sing and I loved musicals and so yeah it was for sure a, a place where we overlapped
2: yeah and so i felt like we would get obsessed about a record like a dar williams record or an, an indigo Ani- girls annie yeah or annie defranco and then we would learn every word and not only would we blast it in the car <laughs> while we drove to and from ballet and on the beach and on our way of dreaming about what boy we were in love with but we also then would go on walks or hikes where we would sing a full repertoire of yeah. probably six or seven songs
1: yeah. and yeah exactly I can't
2: remember, though, who, was there like one harmony singer? Did you always so, sing harmony? I can't well, remember.
1: I remember you teaching me to sing harmony, actually, because I, I had such a classical back. Like I sang in choir, but the parts were always like I did not know how to just harmonize on my own. And I have this really distinct memory of us sitting in my car on Close Village Road and you teaching me like to go up like a third and a fifth. And that's like how you like that's
2: how <laughs> so- you find your. I do not remember that at
1: all. Yeah, so I think with Indigo Girls we could harmonize a little, but I don't think I could. I, I've, ne- I've never been good at just harmonizing on the fly. I need yeah. a. I need a part. Uh, I just like <laughs> thought of so many more things. One thing about you was, you used to s- go to Taco Bell in the drive-through and get a diet coke, or coke, or just coke. a coke, and yeah. then you'd keep the cup for like two weeks and. <laughs> <laughs> and just keep going through the drive-through to like get a refill because it was like <laughs> it was, like free refills. Oh
2: man, living okay. the dream, living the dream. The and dream. then the last
1: dorky thing I thought of, which is actually really cool and is such so telling about how far things have come in a generation. But we decided we were going to gonna go on a road trip with our friend oh Laura. So I'm a year calendar-wise, I'm a year older than you, and Laura's a year older than me. So, um. Between the three of us, we were 16, 17, and 18, newly minted. Like you had turned 16 like, yeah, because it was at the end of school. And we decided we wanted to do a road trip from California to Oregon. I have family up there and, you know, Laura and you had been there. And, um, but we approached our parents. We went to the AAA store <laughs> up on Upper State Street. <laughs> which was sat, a thing. Which was a thing because there was no internet. And we got maps and atlases. And we sat down with like a, <laughs> like a trip planner. It, and then we went and we, we called your mom over to my house. Like we had yeah. a sit down meeting and we're like, we're going to do this road trip. And the the only reason they let us go is we did all this prep and planning. I want to say like a year and a half in advance. Oh, yeah. And so they were like, I'm sure in their heads, they were like, okay, sure. You're going to save your money <laughs> and you're all, and you know, and then in a year and a half you're going to drive. But we did and they let us go and we had no cell phones. Can you imagine 16, 17 and 18 years old, three girls. alone camping camping twice we camped two nights of camping before we got to my grandparents in Oregon I (laughs) guess that's not dorky it's just I mean the dorky part is the like how how we planned it so carefully but that was a good time um yeah
2: this is what I will say about that trip is I think the only reason my mom said that we could go was because Sarah is so responsible and always has been like I and am. we were nerdy like we, we didn't, were we weren't we up to any, any trouble, trouble. but no. at the
1: same time like as a mom now our girls are 10 in no. six years you're just gonna let June <laughs> drive to no. see grandma in Utah like I don't think so I am
2: far stricter yeah. Than my mom ever was.
1: <laughs> I don't think they, I don't know. But anyway, props to them because it was a great learning experience. I'm sure we sang a lot of Indigo Girls in that car too. Um, okay, so we are going to wrap up, but I want really quickly tell everybody how to go find this album. Today is release day.
2: So today is release day. So you can find this album on iTunes. You should be able to find it on Spotify. Um, you can also find it on my website, which is which sarahsample.com.
1: And then you're on Instagram, too, is a fun way to follow you. Sarah Sample 88.
2: Yeah. Sarah Sample 88 on Instagram.
1: Yep. Awesome. Okay, so we are going to end this end the show with a song that we're going to play in full. And we saved this one because, I mean, it is one of it's one of the most beautiful songs I think you've ever written. It is a tearjerker in the best possible way. So before we wrap, why don't you set this song up for us? And then listeners, you just stay on and you'll get to hear the whole thing.
2: Okay. Um, Well, thank you. First of all, Sarah, I love you so much for spending this hour with you. And thank you for inviting me to be part of your listening group um, and your community. This has been so much fun. I agree. Um, So the record um, on this record is a song called The Dance. And I wrote the song with my sister. And I will say there are some songs that are so painful to write. Painful as in they take so much time and you can't get it right. And there's Mm -hmm. so many drafts this is a song that felt, it felt as if it fell from the sky. It Mm -hmm. it came so complete in its delivery of inspiration. And, um, I grew up in Santa Barbara. My parents were divorced when I was in third grade and my dad moved from Santa Barbara to Austin. And I will say before you hear the song, I love my dad dearly. Um, and he is in my life. And, um, but, He moved to Texas when I was little, and he missed a lot of my life because of that, um, just sheer distance. Mm -hmm. And so I remember going to the daddy-daughter dance with Roe McMullen, who was like a 70-year-old cowboy, who took me to the daddy-daughter dance because my dad uh, wasn't around. And um, I had an experience with my daughter June going to her first daddy-daughter dance with James, and it was really emotional for me because – In one way, it was a really special night for her, but in another way, it wasn't a big deal. It just felt like another fun date with dad. Mm -hmm. And the fact that it wasn't a big deal made it this huge deal because she just she's never had to not have her dad in her life. So this is the song. I wrote it with my sister. We wrote it in about an hour and we cried the entire time.
1: And the first time you played it for me, I cried. Um, yes. but it is it is so beautiful so Sarah thank you for being with us everybody oh, keep you listening you'll me. hear the dance and then go check out the album which is out today
3: thank you you come to town a few times a year I marked the heart on my calendar for the day you can hear I had it big surprise Mom said you'd pick me up at six I'm still waiting here at nine But I can't see it all in my mind I'd be twirling Feel your love with every glance. That's how it's supposed to go at the daddy daughter dance. My wedding day, guess it and smile. What? Mm-hmm. Can't see
0: And then scroll all the way to the bottom and you will see the ratings and reviews. We would love if you would leave us one as well. Thank you so much for listening.
1: The Mom Hour is brought to you by partners like Chatbooks. Chatbooks makes it beyond easy to create beautiful photo books by importing your digital photos from anywhere Instagram, Facebook, Google Photos, or directly from your phone. The books come in a variety of sizes with beautiful cover options and binding styles to choose from, and they start at just $15. Plus, we have a great deal just for our listeners. Use code THEMOMHOUR20 to save 20% off your purchase. Just download the Chatbooks app and use code THEMOMHOUR20 to save 20%.